Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. Studio of WHUP LP Hillsboro. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo. Over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, Funny Sans Frontières, comedian, writer, creator, Streeter Seidel is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I am the founder of the Modern School of Film. I am here with you every week on Murmur Radio, whupfm.org, live every week. And we're also Evergreen, a word you will be hearing later today, I'm guessing. Evergreen, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Subscribe, download, subscribe. Subscribe, download, go to our website, murmurradio.com, social handles, at MSF, Murmur, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, my God, we are everywhere. It's like Thunderdome. (laughs) No rules, no borders. Happy to be with you every week. If you go to our website, send us an email, murmurradio at gmail.com. If you have something you want me to investigate on the show, I will. I will match it with a guest, and we'll be on our way. Welcome back. Hi. (laughs) I like doing voices like that. Murmur Radio. Today on the show, Streeter Seidel. Streeter is a writer, creator, and as I said, a comedian. Streeter's day job, not a bad day job, well, we'll ask him if it's if how good or bad it is. Um, he writes for Saturday Night Live. He's been on staff at SNL since 2014. Talk to him a little bit about that. And also, he is one of the co-parents, one of the uh, surrogate fathers, one of the test tube daddies of David S. Pumpkins. This is a sketch on SNL that uh, I don't know if you listen to this episode in a year. Will this make any sense? But We'll see. Maybe it will. David S. Pumpkins, a sketch that Mikey Day, Bobby Moynihan wrote with Streeter and Tom Hanks, now being made into an animated uh, half an hour into a day in the life of David S. Pumpkins. I'm not going to talk. Sorry to disappoint you. I'm not going to talk with Streeter about David S. Pumpkins. Well, I will, but it'll be tangential because there are other things I want to talk to him about. He Streeter's an interesting guy. And he also worked on the ground floor, essentially, for a website called collegehumor.com that's still in existence. It started very grassroots in dormitory rooms, and now it's run by the same guys, I think, but it's owned. It was bought by IAC. IAC is a big schmega corporation that Barry Diller is the chairman of. So it's not your grandma's collegehumor.com, but Streeter was there. He he actually solicit, he sent in some unsolicited video content because they weren't doing a lot of video in the early days. 1999, collegehumor.com started. So Streeter started with sending material in, then became an editor of content, then a professional prankster. And then he uh, was the editor-in-chief, actually, of the whole kit and caboodle and now writes for SNL. We'll talk to him about a lot of that alchemy because it, it, 
it is it is the topic of the day. It's the idea, you know, I talk a lot on the show about how ubiquitous and really this is a golden age for documentaries because we can, you know, you can view documentaries in more places, uh, short form, long form, Netflix, Amazon, YouTube, the news. It's a really cool cycle and it is a really great American contribution to the media form. It's not solely American, but I, I do find if we want to look at native arts, <laughs> modern native arts documentary documentary form is one of them that rises to the top comedy is another one and it's one that i haven't spoken about a lot on the show being part and parcel to this idea that now comedy is everywhere comedy can be created very with great facility and is this a good thing or a bad thing now it's easier to say it's a good thing with documentaries because documentaries have a sort of quote-unquote noble mission comedy you know that's in the eye of the beholder and also what's in the eye of the beholder is is something funny you know um is something funny documentary can be important and can be factual and and can serve multiple masters comedy tends to reflect something that is or it isn't but who's to say right comedy is subjective so as we go into talking to street or seidel today we want to start thinking about how many new formats have arisen, comedic formats? And I think about it, you know, it's not a blame, but I think about it, you know, I yeah, I blame Johnny Knoxville, okay? No, well, Jackass was one of the first sort of viral, do-it-yourself, uh, you know, America's Home Video, uh, Candid Camera-esque, you know, this idea of DIY comedy. That's not what we're taking on today. We're not taking on DIY comedy in the sense of nonfiction. I want to look with Streeter because his his bet his his wheelhouse now is writing comedy, scripted comedy. And what's interesting is we look at how many portals there are now for scripted comedy, places to break into the wall. It calls back into judgment the definition of comedy, and not in a classical Aristotelian Greek <laughs> boring version. Uh, not boring, but dry for today, perhaps. But in, in, in the sense of, is it marginalizing comedy? Are all the new platforms marginalizing it? Does everyone think they're funny? I, I know there are people who don't think they're funny. I dated a girl once, and she said, I, I have a great sense of humor. But she never cracked a joke. So that made me think, how can you have a great sense of humor if you don't crack a joke? Well, you can, I guess. Now, in hindsight, I think about it. You can appreciate humor, but not author jokes. Today we're talking about people who author jokes a la Streeter Seidel, a la independent new creators who are creating different pathways to get into the business through their comedy. Web series is a hot commodity. And it's funny, and I want to talk to Streeter about this because I think web series are kind of a sheep in wolf's clothing. Uh, a lot of writers who are maybe a little gun shy about writing something that's all out comedy may may use sort of a, a, a drama comedy format or a, a comedy of life format in a web series format to be their their barrier of entry clearing the barrier of entry into professional comedy we'll talk to streeter about some of his barriers of entry and now he's on snl we'll talk a little bit about snl certainly it's always inter it's always an interesting it's a rashomon-esque topic it's, it's arguably within our the context it's arguably the most rashomon-esque topic uh, you know, it has such a long history, but and so many writers have gone through it, and so many performers, and so many people have different opinions. Some people have been hurt by the process, helped. We'll talk to Streeter about where he is. But this idea now that comedy is everywhere, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Stand-up comedy is everywhere. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Go on YouTube, spend, you can spend decades going through funny stuff. Yes, and it is sometimes documentary. It is sometimes animals you know, uh, gangster animals. I saw something last night. Someone sent me gangster animal videos. It, it made me laugh. I'm not going to lie, but I didn't know it existed. So what? What am I? What am I yet to find out is funny? You know, it's that Pandora's box that digital creation has created, and it's the good and the bad. The good is you don't have to be high pedigree in on the business to be in the business, but also you're opening the floodgates to a lot of creators who might not have the chops yet. And a lot more people do their comedic homework and their drama, drama homework, but more comedic homework is done in public. 
than ever before, A, but also more than dra- dramatic content. Dramatic content tends not to be beta tested in the way that comedy is. The internet is ripe with that because even if you put something online that's comedic and no one finds it funny, you'll find it funny or your friends will find it funny or your family will find it cute. So you are, um, you are deceptively reinforced through authoring comedic content. There's a lot of complicated issues. I don't want to be a... Pardon the reference of Debbie Downer here. So we'll pick through some of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the funny with Streeter Seidel, who knows where a few of the bodies are buried. And I'm going to ask him about the SNL after parties. That's really why I have him on the show today. Streeter Seidel. Now this. And now from New York, the Jerry Langford Show with Jerry's guest, Tony Randall, Richard Dreyfus. Rodney Dangerfield, Dr. Joyce Brothers, Lil Brown in the orchestra, and little old me, Ed Hurley. And now, say hello to Jerry! I just want to tell you, Jerry, my name is Rupert Pupkin, and uh, I know the name doesn't mean very much to you, but it means an awful lot to me. Uh, calm down. Uh, calm down. I'm a little nervous. Time. A little nervous. Uh, uh, you might have wondered who I am. I've been outside your show many, many times, and, uh, well, you know, I'm in communications right now, but by nature, and this is the point I'm trying to make, by nature, I'm a comedian, you know? No, no, I know what you're going to say. I don't know another one. But I'm, believe me, Jerry, I'm very good. I'm really good. I'm dynamite. And I wouldn't go through this. I wouldn't take one minute of your time if I wasn't absolutely convinced that I'm dynamite. So you're probably wondering now, yeah, if he's so good, then how come he hasn't caught my act somewhere, right? Well, that's a very good question, and I'm willing to answer it, and I'll tell you why. You know why? See, up to now, I've been biding my time slowly and carefully, slowly and carefully, so that when my big break finally came, you know, like the night you were Jack Parr, when Jack Parr got sick, your big break? That was the night that convinced me that I wanted to be a comedian. I walked out of that show like I was in a dream, you know? And then after that, I started catching all your guest appearances on Sullivan. I studied everything that you ever did. I studied the way you built your one line. It's nice and relaxed. How you delivered the, the jokes without leaning too much on them. How you, how you didn't say, hey, folks, here's the punchline, you know? You don't say, folks, here's the punchline. You just do the punchline. Exactly. That's what I loved about what you did. So what I'm trying to say is that, you see, now I'm ready. I'm ready, and, I, and, I, and I've finished the course. And, and I'm sitting, and I'm thinking as I'm sitting here now, well, maybe this is my big break. This is my big chance. You know what I mean? Look, what'd you say your name was? Rupert. My name is Rupert Puffin. All right, look, pal. Gotta tell you, this is a crazy business, but it's not unlike any other business. There yeah. are ground rules. And you don't just walk on to a network show without experience. Now, I know it's an old hackneyed expression, but it happens to be the truth. You've got to start at the bottom. I know. That's where I am, at the bottom. That's a perfect place to start. I know that, but I'm not... There's got to yeah, be a... What looks so simple to the viewer at home. Yeah, yeah. Those things that come so easily, that are so relaxed, and look like it's a matter of just taking another breath. It takes years and years and years of honing that and working it. And there's the only one problem, though, and I don't, mean to, I'm not, I don't mean to interrupt you, but there's only one problem. I'm 34 years old. That's why I'm asking if you just listen to... I'm asking if you listen to my act, that's all. If you listen to my act, then tell me what you think about it. I'll tell you, you know? what. Why don't you call my office? All right, okay. All right? I could do that. Ask for Kathy Long. Terrific. She's my secretary. Okay. okay. And we'll make time to listen to what you're talking about. Uh, you know how many times I had this conversation in my head? This is beautiful. Did it always turn out this way? Yeah, it did. Will you please give your warmest welcome to the newest king of comedy, Rupert Pupkin? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Rupert Pupkin. I was born in Clifton, New Jersey, which was his wish for the long certain 
Before today's guest joined the writing staff of a small independent TV show called Saturday Night Live, much more interestingly, he was a waiter, a landscaper, and a intern at the Gersh Talent Agency. What's most impressive about this is his life goal was really just to be Wolverine, and now he's all grown up and has a baby Wolverine all his own. We're excited to talk to him because this week he found out what will be written on his gravestone. Please welcome to Murmur Radio, Mr. Streeter Seidel. Hey, Streeter, welcome to the show, man. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers, man. And I hope I'm not getting you up too early. I, I know that your <laughs> no. your inner clock must be like, you know, entrails, basically, with, with SNL. <laughs> I have a year and a half old, so uh, I'm used to being awake. At hours I should not be. They are totally the boss yeah. The boss of you, dude. So what will be written on your tombstone? Will it be any questions or will it be how's it hanging? <laughs> uh, what will be written on the tombstone? Maybe this man once met David Pumpkin, <laughs> perhaps. Well, you know. Here lies a close friend of David Pumpkin. <laughs> The odd thing about this talk today is I don't really want to talk to you about David S. Pumpkins. How's that? <laughs> that sounds that sounds great because we've been talking about David Pumpkins a lot no, uh, this past week. So I gotta be, I'll take the break. Let me ask you a, a question and approach this from a different angle. You have been doing a lot of um, pun unintended oral histories of the haunted elevator sketch, aka the David S. Pumpkin sketch. Uh, what's that been like deconstructing a sketch that way has it taken all the fun out of it or has it been kind of educational it's fun to revisit your old work when you're proud of it uh and so it's ultimately it's always very stupid to <laughs> dissect a sketch especially one as stupid as david Tompkins. <laughs> Um, David S. Pumpkins, S is for Simon. I mean, I know more about this dude. Like, yes, I thought I knew a lot about Massive Head Wound Harry. Now I know, now I'm having nightmares about, <laughs> anyway, go on. Mikey and I were, uh, Mikey Day, my co-writer on, on David Pumpkins, and I were talking yesterday about how we wish they that these oral histories existed for, like, the classic sketches we grew up watching. Exactly. Like Head Wound Harry or more Cowbell or, you know. Or like, exactly. But we are in this kind of brain surgery age, and, and, you know, I guess with comedy, is it a kind of, I mean, think of yourself back, as you say, back in the day, no pun intended. Would it have been nourishment, and now is it overkill? I guess to my adult brain, it seems like, well, this is a little silly. <laughs> I'm happy we're doing it, and it's fun. Right. But I guess, you know, to to a younger fan's brain, maybe it's like, oh, awesome. I can learn more about, you know, this thing that I'm really into. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, 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 to me, it doesn't seem people get really upset. I, you know, you see it online. People get furious whenever there's like a sort of a deep dive into a comedy thing. And they're like, "You're ruining it! Right. You're ruining it!" You right. know, they get so upset. But it's like, a, no one's ruining anything. <laughs> the original thing still exists, and you can still enjoy exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it had. It, it's not like we're like. Hey, by the way, because we um, talked to this vulture writer about David Pumpkins, we're taking the original sketch down. No one can see it anymore. <laughs> the only thing you can do is read this oral history now. Right. right. To me, I, I kind of, I sort of, to me, with the people who get really upset about those things should just take a minute and appreciate the fact that they're able to get upset about that, that right. their life is otherwise right. so right. free from pain and struggle and hardship that they can get mad for, about something so trivial, you know? First world problems, man, to the 10th degree. Yeah. Driving over here to record this, I don't want to take the sidebar, but, you know, I'm driving down the highway and looking at people literally doing community service, picking up trash, and I'm thinking, I'm going to talk about, like, cool stuff with a smart guy. And, you know, you do have to kind of take a, a step back. Um, I, I, agree, I agree, you know, not to sound too melancholy, but it's funny, you know, comedy does invite this because, and, and you've used this word yourself before you were with SNL and, and graduated up and up and up, the word clicky. But cl with clickiness becomes, I want to, like clubness. And with clubness means, you know, becomes I want to know what the secret handshake is. Um, I have a question, right. but the one thought, you know, looking at the oral history before we put David Pumpkins to rest for this episode at least. Um, it's funny how much random 
stuff went into that sketch. And I think that's the takeaway. You know, even you said it yourself, you know, watching the sketch in dress and in the final taping, you're getting, you know, Lauren Michaels is basically talking to you about a sketch while people are slapping each other's asses. You know, so it's kind of, you know, it's like a little all with the gods of comedy. There is such a thing as that, right? I think it's just alchemy, you know? Like, I think if that if that oral history proves anything is that you have to just be persistent and very self-critical about your work and work and collaborate and not be shy about taking stuff out that you might think is funny, but just isn't working. Mm. And then if you do all that, you might get lucky and people might like it or you can do all that and everyone's going to hate it and say it was terrible. So, you know, that one in particular was just everything lined up and it worked, but you know, we've had dozens of others that we thought, you know, were fantastic, put the work in, put the time, right. and uh, people just didn't care <laughs> for whatever reason, you know? I'm, I'm a Kevin Roberts fan, but what do I know? Uh, but I want to, you know, want to bridge... Oh, Kevin Roberts. Oh, my God. You know, uh, anyway. Yeah. I, I just... <laughs> talk about, anyway. Uh, I just, that nightmare, that suit and those glasses, that's the night, that's the stuff of nightmares. Uh, Larry David. You know, the same... Uh, <laughs> the same suit that Kevin Roberts suit is from the same company that makes David Pumpkin's suit. So. See, this is the stuff. There you go. This is the stuff of dreams. We're speaking with Streeter Seidel. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the SNL of it all in a different way, because speaking of oral history, to me, the greatest bathroom book ever written, and this is a compliment, is that 2002 book, Live from New York, which is, oh, yeah. which is an book. amazing book. It's an oral history. And I'm telling you, leave it in your bathroom and your dinner parties will, you know, go to 11. I promise. Um, it's just <laughs> I one don't of... know if I want anyone squatting in my bathroom for that long. It's a pretty long book. <laughs> I was going to say, the Mike Myers stuff will keep you there all, all evening. <laughs> but... Um, Talk a little bit about, you know, you're obviously you came through the ranks of being a comedy fan and connoisseur, but was there a natural trepidation being a fan, knowing some of the history, knowing where some of the bodies are buried? Because it's all on record now. I was lucky in that one of my very best friends, Sarah Schneider, was already a writer there. She had, we had worked together for years early in our careers and then. She had gotten hired there as a writer. So I knew a little bit more than I think, you know, I I would have known if I had just read the books and heard the stories and and things like that. Um, That said, it's an intimidating place for anyone. I don't care how, you know, great a comedian you are, how great a writer. I mean, you see hosts come in, multimillionaire, huge stars, you know, open like billion dollar movies, they come in and they're nervous. They're terrified because, you know, it's (laughs) SNL and it's an iconic program. And for this little chunk of time, it's in your hand and you better not ruin it. You know, that's kind of the, the feeling I think everyone has there. So even though I knew a little bit coming in and, and Sarah had been helpful in telling me like, it's not as crazy as you hear about, it's not as, scary people aren't as mean because you know you read that book and i think you come away with a sense of like oh this place is cutthroat and backstabby and people undermine each other and maybe it was that way at some point but i've never seen anything like that there it's i mean it's competitive you know so it's it's competitive but without any animosity or any like you know me first mentality it's it's kind of like a it's very much a meritocracy and you know the funniest stuff goes in the show and that's kind of that's kind of how it goes comedy is competitive and look forget forget the fact that the business itself is competitive forget the fact that the world is competitive forget the fact we live in the most competitive country in the world let's say but you know comedy has that vibe you use the word click I, I would push it more towards cult, you know, but I but I also think <laughs> the nature of it, you know, people think they're funny. So when really funny people are in a room, there's a preternatural 
race to the top. I mean, it's as old as your show of shows, right? I mean, if it's as old as sure. that writing room, Sid Caesar, Mel Brooks, Neil Simon. I mean, can you imagine how competitive that writing room was? Um, I guess the the difference, because, yeah, absolutely. You're completely right in that it is competitive and people trying to top each other. I guess the difference from my perception of what that would be to what the reality is is people are doing that but it there's no like yeah i won i'm funnier than you it's like we elevated this bit together you know it, it's right. very kind of communal in that way right Right. Um, right. Which was a very pleasant surprise. Speaking with Streeter Seidel, the danger of these weeks for you, man, is some old quotes are going to be dredged up, and but I won't hurt you, I promise. I just think there's an interesting... <laughs> I was going to say, you, <laughs> yes? I, the, you really did your research. I don't even know where you found out I was a <laughs> landscaper and other types of things. Well, my friend... Uh, no, but, we'll have to talk about that later. We will. We'll, we'll go, <laughs> we'll. Uh, I, uh, get me to an SNL after party, and I'll tell you everything you want to hear. No, um, you mentioned about college humor you and and that's really where you kind of cut your teeth in a, in a sense and you said something interesting about that environment you said we're lucky to work at a place that doesn't put an unreasonable pressure on us to produce at all costs now what's funny of that funny about that is cut to you working at snl where the ticking <laughs> clock I mean, it's like i mean it's sure. it's the, forget the competitive the ticking clock of it all um do you miss those halcyon days or do you feel there's pressure that is propelled you into being a better writer for the age i was when i worked at college humor um and a number of other factors just based on the industry and where it was at the time the non-pressure environment was perfect because it allowed us to kind of learn on the job right and allowed us to fail regularly without much of a big deal being made of it um where I'm at now, I think I had just gotten to a point where I was ready to be judged. You know, I think it was, all right, I did all this stuff and, and on college humor and people liked it. And we had our fans, but, you know, I want to play in the majors at yeah. some point. Yeah. And yeah. SNL is definitely the majors. It's and, the varsity. Yeah. The pressure is intense, but it's a good kind of pressure, you know, for me at least. I think I work well under it some people yeah it doesn't work i mean if i if i had worked at snl when i was 22 i would have washed out mm. immediately you know but i think coming in at 30 or however old i was it was you know i had a little more confidence and i was able to take criticism and failure and stride and learn from it as opposed to getting in my head and just going you're terrible you'll never be able to do this you know it's a great point you know and it's funny just to contextualize this for people listening you were one of the original <laughs> staff for collegehumor.com which is still going uh, you were also editor-in-chief at some point and and i put that into our talk because i want to talk about a digital uh, delivery comedy delivery because that's you know it's changed because when you work at college humor you guys weren't really doing original video i mean that kind of morphed uh, now the zeitgeist right. is all about video delivery, but do you remember those days before everyone was jonesing for viral videos and you could just kind of be writers and creators? Do you reflect on that as a decent thing? <laughs> uh, those, I mean, those were some of my best years. I met a great group of people I'm still very close with. Um, Again, you know, there was a fan base for the website, but it all felt new and cool. I mean, there really wasn't a lot of, like, I would tell people what I did, you know, older family members or relatives, and they just didn't understand. I was like, I write comedy for a website, which was like, you know, today is like being like, oh, yeah, I'm a, a Mars colonist. And it's like, <laughs> well, is that a real thing or is that just something that you're doing for fun? It's like a fake thing. Now, of course is very much a career. And so those early days before we started making our own videos were great. I mean, we, we didn't have enough work to fill the day. So a lot of it was just joking around and hanging out and playing ping pong and that kind of thing. Very like startup-y environment. Um, but it was great. And then we started making videos and that was exciting and new. And there was really not too many people making purposely making funny videos for the internet yeah a lot of funny videos of people being funny by accident you know falling down and things like that um 
but it was a great evolution. Like for a long time working there, the site kind of grew with everyone's ambition. So when it was, you know, I want to perform a little bit, all of a sudden we started making videos. And then when it was, I'd like to have a TV show, you know, we started trying to sell TV shows and stuff. So for, for a long time, it was a great place to be nurtured as an idiot. <laughs> SNL evolved too, you know, became a digital short haven, you know. So it's interesting that there there was all this kind of experimentation off the grid and then you go back on the grid and SNL and it's kind of like I've done this before. Not, you know, obviously SNL is a unique creature, but at least you had those muscles when you entered SNL. There were muscles and I am very strong man, but they really it was such a different thing than mm. we were doing at College Humor. I, you learned very quickly coming into SNL that writing things that are popular on the internet, which tend, the things that blow up on the internet tend to be like in the, oh, isn't that clever vein or what a good observation. And, you know, we had a ton of success with videos like that that I don't know were laugh out loud funny all the time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're kind of more like that is smart i'm gonna post that and you know mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. share it that kind of stuff tends to just die at snl because you have a room full of people and you need to make them laugh so very quickly i learned oh i need to be writing for the performers i need to be writing hard jokes into some of this stuff and if you can get like a clever one in there too. That's great, but <laughs> it, it, it was it's, was very different. That's uh, an animal. interesting distinction because viral videos are still this kind of MySpaceian class where they're curated to the top. You know, there, there's value, but the value comes when they're curated to the top. I was thinking again. Sorry about uh, Mr. Pumpkins, but I was thinking about some <laughs> of the core DNA of that was that video, Little Superstar. I know you and Mikey yeah. and, and Bobby Moynihan. It's that 1990. It's an Indian film, actually, starring and the guy dancing, the little guy dancing. The actor's name is King Kong. Did you know that? That actor's name is. I did not. The dwarfs. I didn't even know what movie it was from. I'm just. We were just aware of this <laughs> video. Sorry, man. That this is the difference up. between you and me. I. I got. I have no friends. I mean, this is probably subtextually <laughs> established by this conversation. That's so no, okay. Um, well, it's not. But no, it's interesting, and I, I love that you. You're talking about curating a thing for a thing versus SNL where you are the thing, which is a different thing. You follow? <laughs> uh, it, 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 <laughs> I got you, yeah. I know. No, that's all that matters. It's interesting. You said something, again, really interesting about Mr. Pumpkins. You know, we were sort of just happy not to write a political sketch because politics and SNL is it's kind of, you know, it's back again and as if it ever left. I should add... That quote in the oral history made it sound as if Mikey and I were cranking out the political sketches, uh, which we most certainly were not. So that on the tape, you know. Oh, and, and you know, but I, I, it made a hundred percent sense. I, I don't think you were being mean or critical. I, I, I think that's right, though. I think part of the chemistry experiment of any sketch or anything, as you know better than I is life and time and I think there there it was cool that this phenomenon was not a political phenomenon. I, I understand what you're saying, but I didn't think it came off as pissy. Not at all. <laughs> cool. No, not at cool. all. I didn't we'll think it was pissy. Tell, we'll have to tell Lauren that if I get a talking to you about it. Oh, oh yeah, um, you know, just send him my way. I'll, I'll I'll whip him into shape. Yeah. Well we'll talk to him at the after party. It's all good. Um <laughs> quarter his ass. Well quarter I, I his Canadian you know, ass. Sorry, go on. <laughs> When you read the news on a daily basis, what part of you says this is work data or work material and this is life material? Or is there any line in between? If there is a line between, uh, you know, what what's just for my own life, the information I'm absorbing and what I can use for the show, it's a very thin, blurry line. And I don't know where it is. I think everything... I read and I've made it a big effort to read more news. I just started reading a ton more and watching a ton more news, which I had kind of moved away from a little bit because it's normally so depressing. And I found myself just being angry all the time at various things. Uh, so I'm going back into it, getting more and more angry, which should be fun. Um, <laughs> but everything I think is, I don't want to use the phrase fair game. That sounds like, the goal is to bring something down. 
uh, which isn't necessarily true, but I think everything out there is fair game. It just needs to, it needs to be, you know, any news item that you're going to base a sketch on needs to be a big enough item that most of the people watching know what you're talking about, as opposed to, you know, some local regional thing that maybe I think it's funny and I have mm. a good take on, but people mm. in Wisconsin are going to be like, what is this? Mm. I've never heard of this person. What about the evergreenness of it all? This is probably not a word that's thrown around the writer's room. And well, no, it certainly is. Is it really? A you lot. know, because I wonder about comedy and evergreenness. You know, Massive Head Wound Harry or Mr. P., um, you know, those kind of sketches or, or great sketches like them, th- it's not about time in a sense, or maybe it is, but what do you worry about being evergreen when you write comedy? No, not at all. I think if you start worrying about that, you ignore a lot of, you know, you ignore a lot of laughs. You ignore a lot of joke opportunities. There have been times in certain sketches where Mikey and I have tried to not put in things that would date it or whatever because they're you know part of a larger series of sketches or something and we don't want it to we want people to go be able to go back and enjoy them without some topical reference immediately taking them out of it you know and immediately dating it Mm. Uh, but for the most part i think evergreenness is not a huge concern i think it just naturally happens sometimes i think with character sketches a lot they're just evergreen because they're based on a character they're not based on a news event or anything like that and the show's strength has always seemed to be a mix of topicality and you know comedy of the moment which ages atrociously <laughs> um, yeah and uh performance and you know character and and uh cast and host performances that are a little more eternal and you can go back and enjoy them later without being like, what news story are they talking about? Who was this Senator? Why, you know? Right. Well, it's always one of those things when you watch an old SNL and it's Bruce Willis in the monologue, which he has to kind of almost contractually do say, I'm in this new movie called Die Hard 2. Clap, clap, clap. You know, <laughs> you know, I understand that. I understand that. But it's always kind of fun and, and, and creaky. But, you know, it's it's the nature of the beast. In this next beat, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the state of things with you, um, speaking with Streeter Seidel, because you mentioned time. And I was thinking about comedy and time. You know, as you know, Streeter, you may have heard, uh, comedy is tragedy over time or minus time or never quite understood plus Plus time time. (laughs) right uh what you know norm mcdonald uh an alum uh, always has an interesting thing or two to say about things he talked a a little bit about comedy and netflix we are all working for netflix apparently right now um he he said (laughs) netflix has ruined and this is kind of your wheelhouse as well because i know stand-up was really your gateway drug into comedy it it seems like and norm said um Netflix has ruined the stand-up comedy special, that everyone has a special now. Uh, and, you know, there used to be this time of, oh, I got an HBO comedy special, or um, you know, but now that's gone. What do you think about that? What do you think about the state of the freshness of comedy? Because there's more comedy now ever because digital content lends itself to comedy because everyone thinks they're funny in, on some level. And, you know, you may not think you're a filmmaker, but you may think you could film something funny. Do you think we have marginalized some elements of comedy because of Netflix or because of digital systems probably there's probably you know and i think there's probably also a filter of you know a time like norm being nostalgic for a time when he was coming up you know right right um so i'm sure there's that element at play like and i'm sure in 15 years i'll be going it was so much better when, you know, <laughs> yes. when there was comedy on YouTube and then these are websites and now this new thing. I don't like it. Honey, <laughs> get that, I get mean, that David what, S. Pumpkins video saying. out again. <laughs> I, I definitely see what he's saying. It feels like less of an event for a stand-up to get a special. But speaking as a stand-up who hasn't done a special, I would <laughs> certainly see and it as an event for me personally. I go, yeah. this is cool that I'm doing this. There's definitely more garbage out there, certainly now than there was. Yeah. Um, but I think it maybe gives more people an opportunity, which is a good thing. So 
take the good with the bad, I guess. And also, it's not going to change, so we might as well just well, the, 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 accept you, it and move on. And I wasn't, you know... I, I do think, too, yeah. can I... I, just want to can. Add, I do yeah. think that regardless of how many things are made, that excellence always seems to prevail, you know? Hmm. If someone does something excellent, it always seems to get attention eventually. So even, you know, look how many shows Netflix makes. Yeah. You know, they make a billion things. They post a billion things, but then, you know, Orange is the New Black or whatever. That that comes out of the noise. Yeah, we talk about like two or three of them on a consistent basis. Because there's a signal-to-noise ratio now that I want to talk about in our last beat together. Uh, but is that quality is ground zero, right? Be the best you can. Do you still believe in that before we get to how people get to it? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to be in the business of creating anything you might as well try to be the best you can be you know (laughs) what's the opposite yes (laughs) be the worst you need to be you need to just be obsessive and you i mean my whole work philosophy that has worked so far is i don't think i'm funnier than anyone i don't think i'm a better writer i think there i worked and have worked with funnier better writers than me but i think that i will outwork anyone (laughs) You know, I will, and that's why I'll just add Mikey Day and I make a great writing team because he has the same mentality of like, we'll just work harder. Not as a competition, like I, I'm going to beat you, but it's like, how hard is that person working? Well, that's, that's as hard as we need to work. And then let's see if we can work a little more, too, you know? It, it, so, I, it's really interesting. And I, I think this is a weird, maybe overly poetic response. I think it shows in, in Mikey when he's on on stage. You know, I think, you know, in the sense of where we see the manifestation of it. I, one thing I like about Mikey as a performer, and it speaks to you guys as a writing team, there is something kind of type A about him as a performer. You know, he's one of those almost Phil Hartman, hermetically sealed, not a lot of irony in his performance. And those are the SNL performers I've always gravitated towards. You know, um, it's like the folks that don't put any don't let any air escape from their performance there's no winking and nodding and that's what i like about mikey's work but i think it is what i like about your sketches together it is what i like about kevin roberts or the swat team you know i i there is a kind of hermetically sealed that but that's a taste thing but what you're saying as you say it's a work ethos thing which i think is really cool to say i mean i think you get addicted to whatever success you get out of your work, you know, whether it's like a pat on the back from the boss or in our case, people laughing. And so that just feeds into your, you know, your desire to get that again. It's like a drug, you know, like the first time you have a sketch kill on that show, you're like, I need this now. And the only way to get it is to just work, work, work. So it's pleasant work to do and it's fun. Um, but yeah, I think it it all adds up to I guess an ethos. Um, one other to- <laughs> one other topic than a couple quick hitters. Streeter Seidel uh, graciously giving us a rare moment of, of free time in his life and work. I, you know, there is this signal to noise thing now, and I have a lot of young writers and creators who start web series. And it's funny, web series are really <laughs> they're Halloween masks for I want to write comedy, but I want to start as drama. You know, <laughs> whenever I hear web series, <laughs> I think why don't you just write try to write something funny? Young creators wanting to break into this into the space is the web series a way to go i mean what's i like the fact that you're saying you need a litmus test maybe you need an audience because when a bunch of friends get together they're going to think what they're doing is effing hilarious even if it's not well i think web series is a great way in with you just need to go in with the understanding that it's going to be bad i mean nobody maybe aside from eddie murphy was just fantastic out of the game you know like it's very rare that a new performer comedian writer whatever is good from the get-go maybe there's a seed of something brilliant there but you just need to learn and i think that learning used to happen in private um before the internet i think people would do shows for their friends or on on their campus or maybe they would make little videos and screen them for people. And they learned that way. And then by the time you 
actually saw them on something they had, they had done all that learning. And now I think you kind of learn in public. Yeah. Like you, yeah. you know, even, even new brand new standups post their sets on online on YouTube where it's like, you know, that's, I think that's unthinkable to comedians from yeah. 15 years ago where it's like, yeah. why would you want people to see this material before it's perfect? Right. It's just a different mentality. I think with, uh, the younger generation coming up, which is like watching people evolve is part of the fun to them, where I think before it was about presenting uh, a perfect, you know, finished package. But I think web series are great. I mean, look, and again, you know, there's going to be a billion bad ones. And then every now and then you get like a high maintenance or something yeah. where someone put the time in, had the idea you know, labored over it, sweated over it, and, and reap, they reap the rewards, you know? Well, t- two things just to cherry pick before we uh, wrap up today with Streeter Seidel. Eddie Murphy was 19 when he did those sketches. 19. Um, I mean, that's insane. That's like that's off the insane. charts. He doesn't even look 19, but to let alone, to let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was, which he was, unreal. Because adults don't look like, you know, 19-year-olds don't do that physically, emotionally. It's amazing what he did. The other yeah, th- just having the confidence is exactly. just so much of being a performer and especially a comedian is about, if not having the confidence, looking like you have the confidence. <laughs> exactly. <and he> just <laughs> had it right away. Uh, and, and talk about stand-up specials that will live in, in history. Um, I have a little word of wisdom for young comedy writers, but you tell me if you agree or disagree. Because I'm I'm sick of this, like, friends getting together and thinking they're hilarious and making really bad comedy. Should friends who do that assume what they're doing is not funny first before they assume it's funny? I guess my point is there needs to be humility in it too, right? And honesty. Because you talk about worth, work ethic, but work, work ethic means... It needs honesty. You need to say, guys, this isn't funny. Or this, you know, because friends don't like to do that, right? If you're in a group of friends creating comedy, you may not like to say that's not funny because that's your friend, right? So there is a kind of mixed blessing in getting together with a group of people you know. So is part of your advice be honest with one another and be open to the feedback of one another? Is that. I guess it depends what your goal is. If your goal is just to dick around and and make things that make each other laugh then you don't really need to put too critical an eye on it. If the goal is we want to be famous and well-known and, and, you know, take like this want, we want this to be our career. Then I think, you know, it is important to say like, okay, this wasn't, this one didn't turn out great, you know, mm-hmm. but also like, why did we think this was funny in the first place? Is there still a seed of, of something hysterical in this? And I think you can, pretty much learn and, and succeed by just making things that you think are funny, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, as opposed to we think other people will think this is funny um, because you don't know that. I mean, people are so fickle, especially with humor. And also there's going to be some things that, you know, when, when I was at college humor, there were sketches that other people wrote and, and did that I didn't think was funny, but, you know, could acknowledge that other people seem to enjoy them. So it's like, all right, well, that's not my brand of humor, but right, right. it's just so subjective and people seem more than anything else. Comedy seems to draw lines in the sand and make people get very aggravated and, and go, that's not funny. It's not funny. When it's <laughs> right. like, well, no one can really say that, you know, because right. someone out there is going, it is funny, you're wrong. And it's like, well, no one's right here. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's craft and there's taste and there's a difference, you know, and you, you could say, you know, I like or hate Monty Python, but the craft is high craft, you know. It, as we wrap up a couple of quick hitters, uh, let's call it the 10 to 1 um, beach. Sure. Uh, tell people. So going to be weird. Then. No, well, tell people who don't know what is ten to one, and is that something that the the outside world created, or is that an SNL? Uh, do you guys acknowledge the ten to one of it all? You know, I don't know where the term I couldn't. Came fi- from. I couldn't find that in my research. Like, where was the first mentioning of ten to one? But do you guys it's, use that? It to- sounds like a real control room term. You know, the director, someone calling out, you like. All right, this one's at ten to one or something. Right, right. Uh, that's it's definitely a term that's in use at SNL, and it means 
it's just the last sketch of the night, which typically is something a little weirder, more esoteric, something that's not as the traditional uh, sketch as something you might see at the top of the show, which is, you know, a little broader, more game shows, you know, uh, impressions, topical things. This is like kind of where the auteur comedy comes in right? and people can get a little weird with it there, which is, and they're often the favorite of the staff. Well, I was going to say, is that a pejorative or is that kind of a badge of honor to be the 10 to one? I don't know that it's ever ranked in a way that's like, Oh, you're in the 10 to one spot. (laughs) I think it's just, everyone knows, you know, when you're writing it, you're like, this thing's weird. If this goes in the show, it's, it's going to be in the back half because it's weird. And, you know, most Americans will watch this and go, what the hell is that? But there'll be a very small stoned group of Americans who think it's hysterical. So. You did a really cool <laughs> interview. It was, it was actually a bio you wrote for College Humor when you were starting. No, actually, I don't know what year ah. it was, but you bullet pointed it and Bullet point two and three, I thought were real, there were only three bullet points. It wasn't a long read, but it was really interesting. Bullet point two was the entertainment and comedy industries can be foreboding, but just accept you probably won't level up to the huge personalities right away. And I think you've squared that today. Um, point three, point three was comedians are very clicky and recommendations will get you everywhere. Do you remember those points? I don't remember those points, but they sound true. They're great. So yeah, no, what I'm me. saying is this isn't like um, uh, Inside Edition. What? God, I'm living like in the 90s. No, <laughs> what I'm saying is um, I thought they were great. I think they're really great. And I'll, I'll email them to you just so you know that, that they were real and yeah. you can use them. The last, qu- the last, last question, the meta, meta, meta PS is just give me like one cool moment from an after party. I got to live in that universe. Like, are there, are you guys feeding mm. each other grapes? I mean, like what is going on in those parties? You know, I mean, I got to get to one. Are they just Bacchanalian, you know, what's going on? Come on. Well, there's, you know, there's two, there's two oh, after God, parties. I love that. Tell, just so give me those. A, yeah, give me that. There's the after party, Oh God. which is normally at a restaurant. Right. And it's very, uh, you know, everyone sits down and eats because no one's eaten. And, you know, people are drinking and hanging out, but it's not normally insane. And then there's an after after party. Oh, that's the one Derek Jeter goes to. Right. The one Derek Jeter would go to is after after. Right. Come on. I don't know. You know, I, I rarely go to them because I have a wife and a child that's a yes that's a yes very tired no that's a yes Derek Jeter um, but the goes. ones I have been to yes. yeah Derek Jeter is normally there <laughs> um he's a staple the ones I have been to are pretty nuts and really insane I I mean they're you know they're not like it's just a bunch of people blowing off steam yeah. from an insane work week you yeah, know and yeah. I remember going to one and it was at some weird club on the West Side Highway. And <laughs> I thought you were like going to say it was on the West Side Highway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. It was like a door on the West Side Highway. <laughs> and it looked like nothing. And you went inside and there was like a catwalk. And there was some famous DJ playing. It was crazy. And there were just hundreds of people in there. It was like an after, you know, like an after hours club or something. And I was dancing and having a good time. And then it was so dark in there. I left thinking it was maybe 4.30, you know? Mm. I was like, oh, it's probably 4.30. I should head home. (laughs) And walked outside to a bunch of people walking their dog and jogging in full daylight. (laughs) And just went, oh, no. And it was like 8. It was like 7.30 or 8 or something. Man, man, you <laughs> and know, I was like, I'm going to have a terrible, terrible day. <laughs> St- Stefan would be so proud of you. Uh, that <laughs> That's like, a, you know, a uh, dream. Um, hey, man, I, I got to say, you know, digging into the backstory, I, I, it's inspiring how you've laid it all out, you know, in the sense of you, you, you have carved a path based on real work. And I think that's inspiring and, and inspiring because I think people think comedy sometimes is willy nilly and just be funny and show up at the right place at the right time. But you and Mikey and, and others (laughs) that, you know, that I don't know names particularly, but it's really cool that you guys are getting the spotlight shined. Um, and, uh, we wish you all the best, man. 
Thanks. I should, I'll just add that for some people, I'm sure people who are naturally talented, who are just geniuses, uh, it does just come tumbling out of them. For me, unfortunately, I'm not actually that good at it. So I have to put in the work. So I think, you know, for any of your young comedy writer listening, if you're like me, unfortunately, you're just going to have to work a lot. Well, you know, for every John Belushi, no, and Belushi trained, you know, for every Eddie Murphy or, you know, whomever, or Bill Murray, who's a savant of it all, it's horses for courses. So, um, I, 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 you know, I hope you're not diminishing your journey because of its context, because <laughs> I, th- I think it's great, man, and I think it's inspiring. And, and uh, next time we do this, um, I'll be waiting for you on the West Side Highway, and... Um, I'll I'll be opening that door to that special catwalk <laughs> club. I love that, man. <laughs> You'll be seeing a very different version of me. <laughs> hey, man, take care of yourself, and, and we'll catch up with you maybe when I'm in New York next. Thanks so much, Street. Sounds great. Take Sounds ca- great. Thank you. Take care, man. Be well. You too. Horses for courses. I didn't mean to sound mean, I, and I don't mean to sound mean about uh, web series. I don't ingest content that way, so maybe... I come in with that prejudice when I talk about web series. I will say this about web series. What's interesting about web series, and I find it in the young creators I know who are incredibly ambitious, incredibly smart, and incredibly um, earnest, and not even using web series as a resume piece. Yes, okay, but that's not what they're setting out to do. And I like what Streeter said about... um, they like to see each other grow. And there is a sort of esprit de corps that is part of the comedy mentorship or progression, whether it's UCB or the Groundlings. And in that competition, there's also a mentorship. You know, what we're finding on a weekly basis here on Murmur, what I am, the things that are good are bad in the sense of, you know, the clicks of comedy could be great because you can establish a community. The clicks of comedy can be bad because you can exclude. So anything we kind of, rummage through topically is going to have both edges to it. I just want to finish the point on web series before we say goodbye. What web series are doing is they're forcing these young creatives to be accidental filmmakers because they're they're able to and they're wanting to and they're having to shoot sketches and they're they're understanding how to shoot comedy. So Web series not only are giving birth to performers and writers, but also filmmakers, not even comedic filmmakers. This may be an interesting and and inadvertent and nifty thing to chew on until we meet again. If you watch Key and Peele, and I I love watching the old Key and Peele sketches, Comedy Central. Comedy Central, what a strange... in, in In a world where comedy is so decentralized to... To call something Comedy Central is kind of funny. But uh, the Key and Peele sketches are really interesting because they're really well-made films. And you could see how the the um, they became film or they were they went in knowing they were smart film guys. The Key, the, the Key and Peele sketches are really, really funny. But they're also really cinematic, and you can also see how Jordan Peele understood the language of visuals. And you know, one day, and maybe more than one day, we'll examine, we'll continue to examine how to shoot comedy. You know, different theories. Woody Allen, Marx Brothers have common theories: don't move the camera, don't cut a lot. But now, if you look at Key and Peele or other funny stuff, it's actually really well shot. And the Key and Peele sketches are, are really well lit and really well designed and the music and the sound. Yeah, they have to be funny. And at its core, what we're saying and maybe what Streeter was saying is being funny. But now that word is more up for debate. So I would say one thing before we say goodbye for young comedy creators. If you if your ground zero isn't thinking what you think is funny, then you, you, you're going to you're going to you're going to drown in your own doubt confidence that's a word that came out of this for me the confidence of ignorance but the confidence that what you have to say and what you have to do is funny we want to thank streeter seidel that was fun uh streeter seidel david s pumpkins r.i.p murmur radio murmurradio.com every week on whupfm.org live 
Evergreen. There's that word again. You could always hear us iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Download us. We'll subscribe, then download, then tell a friend. Let's get viral with it. Let's get viral. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Thank you to Streeter. Now go be funny.